Well, if you're quiet, I'm going to start. We're going to try to do two lessons at once uh, today. Uh, John chapter 3. If you could start in uh, John chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin. In, uh, after I do a little bit of introduction about what Carrie and I are going to talk about uh, this, uh, this class. A couple of other like quick uh, announcement type uh, things. So um, for those of you who haven't been in an auditorium class in six months, which is uh, everybody uh, uh, nearly. So David has uh, a mic. Uh, if you want to participate, um, David's going to hold the mic. So if you feel comfortable, uh, not only commenting, but also uh, commenting with, uh, with David uh, being near. What I would ask, especially this time, um, even more so for those in the car or those who may be online who need to hear, please make sure you wait until David, uh, David gets to you and, um, and we'll, be, uh, we'll be in good shape. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's it. I think I'll probably remind us, remind us at the end, but during the transition uh, between uh, class and worship service time, continue to be mindful of the uh, social distancing and help, help uh, this is a comment to myself, make sure the kids do the same thing. So we kind of come in and out, all right? Now, before we uh, do a little bit of an intro, uh, let's begin with prayer. <coughs> so this quarter uh, was, was set to be a topical class, and uh, Carrie, uh, Lewis, and I went back and forth a little bit on, uh, on topics, and we landed on, on this one. And I want to talk through a little bit about, um, about why, how Jesus uh, talked to people. Um, so first of all, what are we what are we talking about? So I want to start with a quote. As I watched my class struggle, I came to realize that conversational competence might be the single most overlooked skill we fa we fail to teach students. Um, there are a couple of critical parts of our world environment that are, to me, in conflict with one another right now. First, we are called to be witnesses, called to be Christians publicly in, in the world, actively teaching, actively interacting with people. Um, but on the other hand, our world is getting worse and worse at talking to each other. We don't know how to do it as well anymore. Um, the basic conversation is, is dying. I think this, so I promise, I put this slide together before uh, last Tuesday evening. But I think it's, it's representative of, of what we do as a society right now. We see a problem, house burning, and we yell at each other. Um, or we stereotype each other. One group is close-minded, or they're judgmental, or they're, li or they're literal, or they have no interest in, self or in social justice. Or those people are wishy-washy, or they're snobs, or they're blind, or they're relativists. Those people are the problem. Case, case closed. Um, we don't know how to talk to one another. I'll give you another uh, a real life example from a couple of weeks back. I heard a story. Uh, there was a, um, a, a family, a couple who was adopting a child. And they put this uh, adoption story on Facebook. And later on, down the road, a couple of weeks later, they're talking, like physically, talking to one of their friends. And, they, and this story of the adoption comes up, and, and friend number one says, you know, we're, we're adopting. And friend number two says, I, I didn't know you guys were adopting. That's great. And back to friend number one says, how could you not know? I put it on Facebook. And left angry. 
That's um, a real story. And it's not one that is, is isolated uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in just in the people who talk to me and share stories. Um, that's how we're interacting with, with each other now. Um, we get mad. We point. We don't talk at all. And, and obviously the, the social distancing thing has made it a little more uh, amplified. And so has uh, the phone, if you think about it. I mean, just think about, just think about what we're doing right now. Just me holding this phone, what does it make you think? I'm a little less uh, engaged. Uh, you're a little less important to me now because I'm holding this. I'm not looking at it. But I could at any second, right? Um, it's easier to be a disconnected. If I was to teach like this, I mean, it's not going to be effective. Um, same, with, same with how we talk to each other. The, the phone has a lot of great benefits. It's quick. It's convenient. Um, it, it's perfect for our time-pressured lives, which is a second kind of hidden problem we'll talk about later. Um, but when you've got four different group chats going on and videos sharing back and forth, why, uh, why meet up in person and talk to somebody? Um, I'm talking to you. See? I got the proof. I'm talking to you. Um, people become a product that we consume not a relationship that we develop and uh, connect to. God's will for us is to bear the resemblance of his son in the way that we treat other people, and including, including how we talk to them. All right? Everybody get the premise so far? Everybody with me? Okay, good. So this is uh, a bit of a summary. Uh, we're going to take uh, 13 different interactions that Jesus had with different individuals and not necessarily go deep dive, edge Jesus, line by line, phrase by phrase about what is going on, but talk general, more generally about how Jesus approached them, what content he used, why would he talk to them and interact with them in such a way, and how, what, can we learn, what can we learn from that. How do we understand how Jesus shared his message and talked to people in certain situations? How we better develop perceptions of people's needs and how to help in those needs? And how to imitate Christ uh, in how we talk to people? So real quick, this is a summary of the whole class, the whole quarter in, uh, in, in one go. Um, and we're going to try to, Carrie and I are going to split duties um, over the course of the, of the uh, quarter and, and hit, a, hit a couple of things. First of all, a couple of key principles. Um, Jesus, Jesus was always prepared to talk to people. Okay? Jesus was always prepared to talk to people. Um, linger on this slide for, for a minute because I'm going to ask for comments uh, or, or, uh, or input as, at, at the end of this slide. It's, it's easy to conclude what I mean is Jesus had all the answers ready. That, that's, not, that's not what I mean. Jesus was always prepared to be interrupted by anyone looking for help or wanting to, be, to, to, to talk to him. 
Jesus was prepared to talk to people in the sense that he built in time um, to engage. To engage. Um, 1 Peter 3 uh, verse, verse 15 is an easy you know, encouragement verse here. We'll probably talk about it a couple of times throughout the quarter. Being prepared with meekness and in fear requires being prepared with what to say and the time and dedication to others in order to say it. And sometimes we get so busy, I, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Uh, we're going to talk, talk about a couple of examples where Jesus was, was, was doing something, had something going on in his life, and that stopped just so he could talk to somebody. Okay? Second thing, Jesus, he talked to everyone, everywhere. Um, and it wasn't always the same conversation. So Jesus was, was God in the flesh, the creator among the created. That, that's what we believe. And, and of all people who have ever lived... He has the best opportunity to approach people and say, look, this is how it is. Conversation over. He's basically the only person who's ever lived who could, who could, who could do what we see a lot going on today. Gerald, this is how it is. You know, David, this is how it is. We say that all the time, don't we? Jesus is the only person who had the ability to really do that. Um, but all of his conversations are different. They're all to the same creation that he created, but they're all different. Sometimes he initiated the conversation. Around nine times it's recorded that he initiated a conversation. The Samaritan woman in John 4, the crippled beggar in, in John 5. Most often someone initiates a conversation with him. Around 25 recorded times. You know, the rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19. The demonic man, which we'll talk about uh, you know, how do you talk to people who are just messed up and don't have their lives together at all uh, in Mark chapter 5? Also in Mark chapter 5, Jairus uh, engaging, uh, initiating a conversation with Jesus. His conversations take place, play, uh, place in boats, by wells, in people's homes. Rarely, in some cases, but in rare cases, does Jesus talk about spiritual things in a spiritual setting? Rarely does Jesus talk about spiritual things in a spiritual setting. It happens, but it's rare. Um, Jesus asks a lot of questions. So he, uh, second bullet point there at the bottom, he answers questions, but he also asks questions. He takes initiative, schedules time for interruptions, Met people on their own ground, purposely worked to establish uh, common ground. <clears throat> Met people where they are, didn't go in with the goal of winning an argument. And in some cases would leave a topic cooking, simmer, uh, simmering, instead of saying, you know, I'm not leaving it and I won't stop until you agree with me. No. Because you're a bigot. Or you're wishy-washy. Uh, and you need to listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, it's because you're a hateful person. Um, in other words, Jesus, to me, is a representative. And I think we'll see in these, in these interactions about how talking to people is an art. And, and, and also uh, a bit of a puzzle. 
Any comments on that? I've, I've talked a little bit for a while there. Anybody got any thoughts on where I'm at so far? With me? All right, good. I know it's been like six months, all right, but I got a lot of, well, obviously I got a lot built up, so hopefully you got some, uh, you got some built up too. Jesus' focus, Jesus' focus in talking to people, giving life, seeking and saving those that are lost, saving sinners, which is uh, a, a similar, uh, similar thought, and, and helping to make folks uh, reconcile to God. I thought that was, here we go. This is what I was looking for. Uh, last thing before we get to John chapter 3 and look at our first example. Jesus, like I mentioned before, Jesus is always prepared to talk and to teach. Different approaches are needed for different people in different situations. Being rooted in God's word. It, 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 would not take a, it would not take long to find an example where Jesus says something to the effect of, it is written. Or you have heard that it was said. Um, or such like things. Quotes from the Old Testament. He didn't quote from the Old Testament every time. But he did talk uh, with the root being in God's word. You know, roots being that the solid foundation was always there, even if you didn't bring it up and you could see it. Uh, that the root was always the same, whether you could see it or see it or not in, in God's word. And then being rooted in love and compassion for others. You know, sometimes Jesus would come right out and say, your faith has healed you. Or I, I can offer you the water of life. Uh, John chapter 4. But even when he didn't address the personal needs to others directly, it was rooted in, in finding and addressing those folks uh, personally. That's kind of the summary of where, where we're headed. We're going to talk about how Jesus approached um, people who were messed up, people who had betrayed him, People who were in open opposition to him. People who should have been his friends. Uh, all, all sorts of different, different interactions that we may come across today. That's the goal of, uh, of the class. All right. Have I made my, uh, made my case? Can't remember. My wife's, my wife's teaching in the back in the third and fourth grade, I guess. So you can go back there if I haven't made, made my case uh, well enough. Okay. Let's begin. John chapter 3. How Jesus talked to Nicodemus. Or how Jesus talked to curious people. First of all, let's read a couple of verses in John 3. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs unless you do... Excuse me, unless, you do, unless God is with him. Excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Like I mentioned before, not going to dive real deep 
um, into each of the things that, that Jesus has talked about and why he picks Moses and the bronze servant later on and things like that. I want to hit some of the, the, the basics to talk about uh, the premise of the class, how Jesus talked to people. So first of all, who is Nicodemus? In summary, he's the cream of the Jewish crop. So he's a Jew, so he's a member of the family of Abraham, you know, God's people. He's a Pharisee, so he's a part of an elite Jewish sect known for observance, you know, strict observance of traditional and written Jewish law. He's a ruler of the Jews. So the highest legal, legislative, judicial Jewish body. He's, the, he's, a, he's a Jewish ruler. Other, other implications based on that, he's a teacher, knowledgeable of the scriptures that we call the Old Testament, likely you know, middle-aged to older, perhaps same age of Jesus or older than Jesus. Okay. He comes to Jesus by night. What, what keeps you up at night? It's the things that keep you from, uh, from peaceful sleep. Are, it it could be a host of things. Different for everybody. You know, recently, you know, the economy, the job market, the election, the coronavirus. Oftentimes what keeps us up at night is personal. Uh, it's personal. And Nicodemus... I think has something bugging him that is that is personal, and he's curious about it. Imagine imagine a scene: uh, you're, you're well known around the United States for for uh, doing something impressive. You're a grandmaster, uh, chess champion. You play the piano real well. You can play the cello real well, and 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 a lot of people know it. People come and watch you perform. Um, you have the best training. You even teach people. And then you hear about someone else from some, some backwoods, like lesser known part of the country, Texas, say, from Texas, those who don't know. And, and you, you learn that she's taught herself to play chess or she's taught herself to play the cello in her little small bedroom with her single mom. And people are just starting to discover her, and she gets on social media because she's good, and she moves people. And then you go to watch her play with your trained eye, and you know she's really good. Everyone else is enjoying it, but you're like, hey, she's good. Um, what's your natural reaction? Huh. Now I'm curious. Um. Now I'm curious. Nicodemus, uh, to me, sort of represents this. He comes at night with a, with a conflict in his mind. He, he knows, because he's heard and maybe even seen Jesus um, in a similar situation. John chapter 1, if you go back to uh, John chapter 1 real quick, verse 19. We know that this is, this is around the time Nicodemus comes. John the Baptist has come. Jesus has started to perform miracles and words getting out. Word is starting to stir about who Jesus is. Now, John 1, 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you, one of the, are you the prophet? He answered, No. 
Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What are you saying about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet had said. So there's, there's a, another guy who's talked about Jesus coming. And we know Jesus has been performing some sort of signs because Nicodemus recognizes and acknowledges those signs. Um, so Nicodemus is curious and fascinated about Jesus. But he's also a, got a group membership of teachers that feel uneasy, and some of them are starting to see Jesus as a threat. Okay? So, Ju- so Jesus, excuse me, so Nicodemus is, is curious. Um, quick summary of the, you know, the story. Jesus' teachings do not make you more mature. They demand you know, rebirth, re- recreation. Uh, Nicodemus says, you're, you're, you know, you're something special. So, so who are you? Um, Jesus doesn't really answer, but he tells him what his mission is, to be recreated. Uh, can you imagine being Nicodemus and having Jesus tell you that all of the things you've done up to this point are, are not good enough to enter the kingdom of God? You have to start over and be reborn. And that's why twice Nicodemus says, this doesn't make sense to me. How can this be? Uh, in uh, in verse uh, nine, how can these things how can these things be? Nicodemus uh, challenges it, and Jesus replies in verses uh, you know ten <coughs> uh, ten through twenty one with uh, a, a slight rebuke, but talks about how what he's teaching is different. From contemporary, from contemporary Jewish teaching. And then goes on to talk about how God has come down as man and will be exalted on a throne, uh, excuse me, on a cross, uh, not on a throne. If you look at, um, let's, let's, let's skim a, a few of these verses just to, uh, just to highlight a few things. Jesus says in verse uh, 7, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going, so everyone is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then the rest of the interaction, again, he talks about uh, how God has come down as man, not to be exalted how you think a Messiah might be exalted, um, and ultimately being exalted as a sacrifice, uh, not as a king. That's the, again, basic summary of the first 21 verses of John chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of, a couple of items about it uh, in, in particular. So first, how Jesus spoke to curious people. How does he challenge uh, Nicodemus? Jesus has knowledge that Nicodemus doesn't. 
and he knows this knowledge isn't going to result in conversation where he's educating Nicodemus to kind of soften Nicodemus's edges and make his worldview just a little bit better. Like if you were to turn addition and subtraction into algebra. No. That's not what's about to happen to, uh, to Nicodemus. And, and Jesus knows that. Nicodemus doesn't. Again, keep this in the back of your mind as we talk as Christians to those who may not be but are curious uh, about it. We have knowledge that they don't. Uh, Jesus knows <coughs> their discussion is going to bring Nicodemus into conflict with how he sees the world. He knows that. And in contrast to contemporary thinking of the day, so this could be a problem if it's mishandled, if you think about it. This could go south very quickly. Um, so when someone approaches Jesus as curious, um, how, does he, uh, how does he respond first? Um, immediate and ongoing emphasis on the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, in, uh, in verse 5. When Jesus says kingdom of God, what is in Nicodemus' mind, do you think? Earthly kingdom, sure. A, a, a kingdom of, of Jews who are ready to be reformed and obey the law. And if we clean all this up, then the Messiah will come. And Rome happens to be in the way at the moment. We got rid of the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. Okay, it's the Romans. Okay, well, if we get rid of the Romans, uh, if, if we clean ourselves up, the Messiah will come and help us out. An earthly an earthly kingdom. But Jesus couples together the idea of the kingdom with, with being reborn. So immediately, Jesus takes something that he knows, somewhat common ground, and, and talks to uh, Nicodemus about it in a completely different way than he's used to thinking about it. Remember, Nicodemus is not a blank slate. Far from it. He is curious, but also well-educated. Um, he's got background. He's got a master's degree. He's taught a lot. And what? B born again and uh, the kingdom of God don't, don't go together. Okay, you have my attention. I'm curious. Now I'm really curious. Okay? Secondly, pointing out the inadequacy of the previous efforts to spirituality. Jesus begins more in, in general. If you look at verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he gets personal. Jesus answered and said, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Look. You've got, to, you've got to listen to this, Nicodemus. I'm going to say it over and over again. I'm going to say it to you. Um, 
you've got to see uh, rebirth is necessary. His, uh, his entire life, Nicodemus has been trained to believe that he could earn God's approval by following a list of rules and teaching those list of rules because of where he was born and who he was uh, a part of. The, 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 the family of Abraham. It's very difficult for him to understand that this new life was, was given by God. Given. Uh, given to him. By being born of something called the water uh, and the spirit. How can this be? How can it be that I have to start over um, in my mother's womb? Um, it's something I do not understand. Third, focused on the issue at hand using scripture and story. Focused on the issue at hand using scripture and story. There are, to me, a couple of opportunities for this to easily divert and go here, go here, and go here. We could just talk about the signs and the miracles in, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. We could just stay on the contrast of the physical kingdom and the spiritual kingdom and, and, and talk about that in verse uh, 4. Uh, in chapter 3 and verse 9, when, G when Nicodemus still doesn't understand, Jesus could have walked away or started over and said, well, let's just move on to another topic. Well, let's talk about another topic and we'll come back to this one. But Jesus doesn't do those things. He focuses on the issue at hand with Scripture and with story. First, with Scripture. If you look at what Jesus says in verse 5, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is an illusion. I'm not going to go... Uh, to this passage for the, for the sake of time. But this is an allusion to a, a passage in Ezekiel, in, in chapter 36, where, G, where Ezekiel also talks about and uses water and spirit to talk about uh, spiritual birth. And, and the idea of, of the, uh, a leader of the Jewish people knowing about some of the prophets like Ezekiel seems reasonable to me. So this, this, this phrase, being born of the water and the spirit, that Ezekiel says may have recalled in Nicodemus's mind uh, some of the teaching he had before about how people enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Israel must not enter into the kingdom. People must not enter into the kingdom by means of reform or following a law, but by rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth where God cleanses his people and places them uh, and places within them his spirit so that they may live and work and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Rebirth is a, a spiritual process, not a physical one like Nicodemus immediately jumps to. It is a, it is a spiritual process. And then, so it's a, a scriptural, tying it to scripture and also tying it to a story. Um, I like... Uh, oftentimes, when, when, you, when we may be talking to somebody who's curious or we may not understand something, one of the things that I like to do is say, look, can you, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Rather than staying theoretical or academic, can you just give me an example of what you're talking about? 
And Jesus does so at the end of this interaction with, with, um, with Nicodemus when he points out an, an example of a story that comes from, Mo, from, uh, from Moses in, in Numbers chapter 21. In order to have this spiritual rebirth, Jesus couples it to a, a uh, dissension of God to earth in order, for it to make, in order to make it to happen, in order to cause it to happen. And Nicodemus is, is being told, look, that's me, man. I have come. Uh, look at verse uh, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe in Him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. Men who love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Think back, rewind your mind a little bit to the, the serpent, the bronze serpent um, story in Numbers chapter 21. Moses has a, a bronze statue of a snake and he, and he holds it up high. And, and then what happens? People have to look at it. They have to look at it. The people are, are, are plagued and, and they're dying by the thousands. And if they look at the serpent, they will live. What's the point of that story? Man, there's a lot of there's a lot of points to that story. Belief leads um, action. Belief and action, and where is it all rooted in the grace of God allowing it to happen? None of this happens unless Moses builds the statue of the bronze serpent and, and, and allows and, and God allows it to, to, to save him. Jesus talks about the Son of Man coming down to earth and, and giving them the same. Giving them the same situation. All they have to do is trust in God enough to look and they'll be saved. In the story in Numbers chapter 21. There was no other way to be saved at the time. No other way. Uh, no other way to get into the, the kingdom of God. Uh, to say it another way. Jesus told Nicodemus that in, in the same way. The son of man will be lifted up. And believing in him would be the only way for people to be saved from the punishment of their sins. Okay? You've got a rebirth that has to happen. I'm confused by that. So let me help you understand a little bit about what's going to happen uh, in order for that rebirth to be possible. God is going to come down and help, help to make it happen. These people in Numbers 21 had no clue how they were going to be saved. And God came down and gave them away. Nicodemus, I know you're curious about rebirth. Um, recognize that the Son of Man is going to come down and, 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 and allow that to happen. These stories are related, Nicodemus. 
And, and, and lastly, ending with, um, I'm sorry, contrasting the flesh and the spirit and, and, and the earthly things and, and heavenly things. Um, you know, yes, Nicodemus, you see the miracles, but I've got something bigger and, and, and better than that. I'm going to go a little bit quickly over these last two points. And it ends with you know, love and, and judgment uh, from God. You know, the, the, the passage we always uh, cling to in John 3 and verse 16, for, for God so loved. You know, Jesus didn't stop at the means of salvation through the Son of Man being lifted up in the work of the Spirit, being born of the water and the Spirit. Jesus doesn't stop with how it's going to happen. Jesus takes the time to talk about why it's available. Rebirth is, is and, and the water and the Spirit, this is how it's going to happen, but you need to understand why it's going to happen too. Why is it even available to you, Nicodemus? Not because you're a Jew. It's because God loved the whole world and made it available. Jesus tells him why um, he has access to God. It's not just how to get to God, but who God is, uh, and that he's a God of love. All right, before we go to the next, um, next slide, any comments or, or questions about how Jesus interacts? The last five or six minutes, we're going to talk about what we can learn in our modern day about how we can, uh, we can use this. Yes, ma'am. Jesus interacts with love and compassion, but as for us, we can interact with love and compassion also. There's a lot of people who are hurting right now and that are suffering right now. And um, Jesus would often eat with people who were considered um, the bottom of society. Mm -hmm. or something. So always remember just because a person looks a certain way or acts a certain way doesn't mean they're not susceptible to the gospel. Uh, man, you're right. And we're going to spend a whole class dedicated to talking about how Jesus talked to people who were messed up, hurting, troubled, kind of at the bottom of their, bottom of their lives. That's a good point. Um, what, what happens to Nicodemus? So we don't know a whole lot of details, but we do know a few things. Um, John chapter 7 uh, and verse 48 or so, Nicodemus doesn't openly defend Jesus, but, but he stands up and, and says that Jesus should be allowed to you know, speak and defend for himself, uh, which was different than the other, some of the Pharisees who were seeking for the ways to kill him. And then we also hear of Nicodemus in, in John 19. Um, where he and Joseph of Arimathea get together, or they're already together, and they already have some kind of common ground in a respect and, and a trust for what Jesus has done um, and held the same view of him. Nicodemus, being a member of the Jewish leaders, had witnessed the fake trial, known Jesus had been wrongfully accused, and had known about his death on the cross, if not watched it. Um, Jewish leaders didn't care for the dead bodies of non-family members who were convicted as criminals. That didn't happen. But Nicodemus did. So, 
Jesus is approached by Nicodemus as a curious person about who Jesus is, and at least from what I can see, leaves later on in life a believer in him. Otherwise, a man of his rank doesn't care for a dead body of a non-family member who's a criminal um, if he doesn't have some kind of belief or faith in him. Okay. So what? For us, how should we talk to the curious like Jesus did? How do we approach people who may approach us in curiosity? I mean, I got four points. I got a minute each. All right? So if you got a comment, get it preloaded. And, uh, and, uh, and we'll be ready to go. So first, spot the material worldview even in spiritual discussions. You know, someone comes and wants to talk spiritual things, recognize that they see the world differently than you. And oftentimes it is bent towards uh, worldly carnal, uh, more, more material. They don't have the same life experience as us. No one has the same life experience as you. I don't even have the same life experience as you. Even though it might be close. Like Nicodemus uh, with knowledge of the Old Testament and knowledge of a Messiah coming. Those that are curious are, are very much like us. They spend their time living and breathing in the physical world. They work, go to school, they talk to one another, uh, they have families. Um, they have a worldview that doesn't seek or, or know a personal relationship with God, perhaps. And, and maybe that's one of the things that we need to recognize. If they're coming to us curious about spiritual things, are we the right person for them to come to? Do we see things like Jesus when he says, you've got to be reborn uh, in a spiritual sense? Or would we keep conversations uh, worldly, physical, natural? Uh, recognize that they will be like Nicodemus and, they, and not see it all. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's important to understand, I, th I think. Recognize them where, where, people, where people come from and even their view of, of religion um, and their worldview of religion might be uh, or what might, not, not might be, will be different uh, than ours. They see a physical world with a religious world that is declining. So many Americans um, claim, you know, no religion at all. It's about 15 percent according to a study that's been done in the last five or ten years claim to have uh, no religion at all, which now outranks every other major religious group except for Catholics and Baptists in, in the United States. Um, the Jewish numbers are in steady decline. Um, religion as a whole has just gone down. Um, if religion comes up, this is a quote from a person who was interviewed as part of the study. If religion comes up, everyone at the table will start mocking it. I don't know how any religious, how anyone is religious and hardly anyone is spiritual. So that's the, that's the worldview, right? 
spiritual things don't make any sense. Uh, but even in that case, someone might be curious uh, and, and approach you, recognize um, that that may, that may be a part of their worldview is the point. Secondly, don't linger on the theoretical. God is not theoretical. The gospel is personal. I want to talk to you about your rebirth, uh, Nicodemus. Um, it's easy to say, it's easy to linger on the theoretical and say things like, oh, well, I haven't thought about that before, or, or that's interesting, uh, and, and just leave it. Um, you know, Jesus had that opportunity. Um, Nicodemus is like, how can this be? How, how can this be? And, and, Nick, and Jesus could have said, well, that's, that's how I feel, and I think that's, that's how I see the world. Oh, that's interesting. I left it. No. No. Um, people are, are uh, curious and they ask questions. Ask questions back, like Jesus did. Curious people come to you and, and ask you questions. Ask questions back. What, what, do you, what do you mean when you say good? How can evil exist? And there's so much good in the world. What do you mean when you say good? What do you mean when you say faith? Uh, curious people will stay hooked if we try to dig up what's in their own backyard rather than talking about their weather, Christianity as a whole. Get personal. What we do in here is not theoretical. This is personal. One-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Scripture is the foundation it's always the foundation of the conversation, which implies we've got to know it. You think about my, my, my comment earlier. Can you give me an example? Um, there are so many good examples of different principles in the Bible that we can have on the tip of our tongue. David, Goliath, Noah, Jonah in the boat, Moses and the bronze serpent. Paul and Paul in Acts 17 telling the Greeks that they are very religious people. Um, the prodigal son, uh, the Antichrist. My real life example. Two weeks ago, I got asked about the Antichrist over a phone conversation with one of my uh, one of the guys who works for me. And, and I'm, I'm boarding an airplane, okay? And um, having scriptures the foundation. And not just saying, well, this is what I think, uh, or this is what I've heard. Being able to tell him, look, I don't have it in front of me, but I can tell you it's in, it's in 1 John, and we can talk about it later, and give him some examples of what I feel like is, is, is something about the Antichrist. It's important to understand. He walks away curious. He also walks away wanting to understand more. He walks away knowing that at least when it comes to me, I'm not going to just tell him what I think. I'm going to base it on something that's in the Bible, just like Jesus does. He ascended. There is an ascension coming. Excuse me, a descension coming of the Son of Man. Let me give you an example, Nicodemus. He's going to be saved. You're going to be saved just like the man in the bronze serpent in Numbers chapter 21. And lastly, it won't be as fast next time. Um, emphasis on commitment, and the demands of the kingdom of God. Again, emphasis on the idea of rebirth. Um, curious folks need to walk away knowing um, 
that this is not academic. This isn't something we're going to talk about and have different views of the weather or the Titans or the Republicans. Like this is um, personal. And there are certainly different ways to express this, even ways that can scare people away. Right? Um, but recognize that in today's society, commitment is limited and is seen as related to being closed-minded. Um, if you're committed to something, then you're closed-minded. Um, but this is not an option. Uh, this is not an option for curious people. So to recap, because people are starting to uh, come, into the, come into the foyer real quick. Um, when it comes to curious people, to me, the four things to keep in mind, recognize their, their worldview, how they see the world, and why they're curious as to why your worldview looks differently. Make it personal. The scripture has to be the foundation. And recognize that they can't leave not knowing that this is an academic. This is a personal commitment. All right? All right. Thanks for your, uh, your attention.